Well, good evening. We are delighted to have each of you with us this evening. This is part two of our summer chair series that we introduced last week, and we are very glad to be back and to look at another topic under this broad heading that we're using for the next several weeks. We are going to do it tonight, and then, Lord willing, the first three Sunday nights in August as we try to walk through several topics that we feel like are important. It's on the minds of a lot of people. And we appreciate this opportunity to do it. This kind of gives us a, a format where you get to hear both of us. And it's a format with maybe less technical if we were one of us preaching. But I think in a lot of ways we get to uncover lots of things that's very valuable for us. Uh, I understand from our media team that we had 2,100 people watching the entire video last week. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's a compliment to you all for sharing it and for others and it shows you an interest in what we're talking about our theme is i know what the bible says but and it's that but that tries to look at the biblical worldview and the culture we live in and for a lot of folks they try to find a marriage between the two they try to merge the two and what we don't realize is our society and culture is going one direction, and the biblical worldview is taking us another direction. And that's why we find passages like in the book of James that says friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Uh, the world sometimes tries to soften what it says about sin. Uh, sin has dropped out of a lot of churches today. And so affairs are what people used to call adultery. Disease is what they used to call drunkenness. And so what we've done is we've kind of whitewashed sin to try to make it not so bad. But when we look at our Bible, we realize that the world and the direction of Jesus are not the same direction. And we need to be able to address very important topics in a very real way. And the reason why we're doing this now is we feel like a lot of the young people, this is on their minds, on their hearts, and some things that we need to talk about. So this evening, what we want to talk about is I know what the Bible says, but my body is my business. And that's going to, you know, I almost feel like giving you, just like when you're on the airplane, time to buckle your seatbelts, put away <laughs> your tray tables, because we got a lot of topics we're going to talk about. That phrase covers lots of subjects and we're going to try to cover many of them tonight in a in a way we hope will be helpful for you as we look at what the bible teaches along this line and that very idea that my body is my business that concept really says what happens in this building stays in this building monday when i'm at work monday when i'm at school Monday when I'm doing my own business, that's my business. And my faith has nothing to do with how I conduct my business, what I do with my life, what I do with my body. And we'll manifest some of that as we go through that. So that's kind of where we're going this evening. And again, we're thankful you could be with us. We encourage you to get your pens out, take down some notes as we go along with this. Uh, Jason, you got any starters you want to start with or let's... Let's just jump Let's in. Let's jump in. Let's jump in. Okay, deep water. Okay, we got a lot of questions. So, question number one. Uh, the idea of my body and my soul being separate is really not a new idea. Uh, developing in the first and second century was a movement called Gnosticism. 
And some of you better Bible students have heard of that concept of Gnosticism. So what is that? All right. Let's open our Bibles back to 1 John chapter 1. It really does not matter to me at all whether or not you remember after tonight that strange-looking G word. Uh, you can be a disciple of Christ and not dive into 1st and 2nd century Gnosticism. But I do think this is a really valuable place to begin simply to show young and old this evening what we're talking about is not new. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not a new challenge. This is not something that God in his word never saw coming. This is old, old, old. And we are simply seeing the fruits of the same tree on a different side of the tree in the 21st century. All that you need to know about that funny looking G word is this was a philosophy that said I can ignore my body and look inward to figure out who I am, what my calling is, what my purpose is, how to find fulfillment. There is a difference between my insides and my outsides. That was Gnosticism. It basically said, as long as I know certain things on the inside, it really doesn't matter what I do on the outside. And so ignore my body as I look inward to figure out who I am and what I want to do. What I want to show you is, just very briefly, this was flourishing in the late first century and it is at the forefront when the Apostle John, decades after Jesus lived, wrote things like, is your Bible open there to 1 John 1? Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. I want to show you, this is at the forefront of what John is communicating by the Holy Spirit to Christians. It is a lie to say on the inside, I have a relationship with God while I walk, while I use my body in ways that God says are ungodly and so he says in verse 7 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins look down at chapter 2 verse 3 and by this we know you'll read a lot about John saying we know in first John it's attached to this false philosophy Gnosticism was, I know on the inside certain things, and it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. Maybe I can't even control my body. So just ignore my body while I look inward to figure out who I am and what life is all about. That's at the forefront of 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 5. 
Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Same chapter, 1 John 2, look down at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Or one more, chapter 3 and verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. It's not a matter of simply knowing what is right. I use my body and my mind and every aspect of who God has made me to be to practice righteousness as he is righteous. I'd suggest to you the place to begin this complicated discussion is to recognize if we want a settled, enduring sense of what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, we need something more stable than our internal selves. And we'll explore that. We need Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And, and I would add, when, when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and your body. Yeah. yeah. Um, the outside affects the inside. The inside affects the outside. We are complete beings. Absolutely. We are not separate. Absolutely. So, let's take that a step further. <clears throat> Biblically, what does the New Testament teach about our bodies? Okay, let's, and we're going to be talking about this from the standpoint of a Christian. Let's look at some verses here. Let's go to the book of Psalms to begin with. Psalms 139. Got a couple Old Testament. Then I want to show you something in the New Testament. Psalms 139, verse 14 139 14 I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well first thing he identifies is that we are created by God and we are created not as just biological accident junk God made us and designed us the way we are that's something we have to understand second Old Testament passage is in Jeremiah chapter 1 Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And, and again, that, that idea that, you know, when does life begin? As he talks about being in the womb, God was acknowledging this person. And again, understanding how God wants us to do this. Now, turn your Bible as well to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How does God want me as a Christian to use my body? And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and about three or four verses here. We're going to notice about three things he says here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, well, let's begin verse 19 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Stop there. A temple. A temple was sacred. A temple was something where God was honored. Not anybody could walk into the temple. The priests themselves had to be purified before they could offer a sacrifice. So when he talks about the Christian's body today, you represent something that's sacred to God. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, it says. 
Second thing he says, verse 19, your body is a temple of, <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Let's park it there for a minute. What does that mean? You are not your own. Imagine you rent a car. I've rented lots of cars in my life. So you rent a car, and you're supposed to turn it in on Monday, tomorrow morning, and you don't do it. Tuesday morning, the rental car place calls you up. Mr. Shouse, you didn't turn your car in. What's going on? And I say, oh, I sold it. <laughs> I sold it. I got some pretty good money for that car. The first thing he's going to say is, it's not your car. You can't sell it because it doesn't belong to you. Now, you college students who are in the dorm, uh, I remember dorm life. My very first dorm, I could stretch out my arms and hit both walls. It was a small, small room. Moms and dads have paid room and board for you to rent that room for a semester of college. Now, let's say you don't like your college room. So you take a sledgehammer and you're going to expand it. No, you can't do that. It does not belong to you. So when we think about this passage, number one, you're a temple of God. Secondly, you no longer have ownership of yourself. Now, let's keep your finger here. We're going to look at two other places, and we're going to come right back here, if you will. Let's look over in the book of Luke, if you will. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And in verse 23, as Jesus lays out the principle of discipleship, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 He's saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up of his cross daily, <clears throat> and follow me. You are not your own if you're a Christian. Jesus owns you. Okay. Now, in the book of John, if you will, John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, we look in verse 19 and also verse 21. Here Jesus is given a future look of his resurrection. And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, verse 20, it took 46 years to build a temple. You'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So two things to begin with. Number one, we are a temple of God. We are not our own. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 20, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The word redemption, we have been redeemed, is that very concept. Redemption means someone has bought you. We have been bought by Jesus Christ. So the day I give my life to Jesus, the day I become baptized, it's no longer my body. It's no longer my life. It's no longer I get to do whatever I want to do. Those days have ended when I gave myself to Jesus. Now, Romans, if you will, Romans 14. Now, these principles are important because they will be built upon the rest of the questions we're going to talk about this evening. But in Romans 14, again, the apostle makes some good principles for us as we look in verse 7 verse 8. Romans 14 and in verse 7, he says, For no one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 
temple of the Holy Spirit, no longer my own, I have been bought. That's the Bible concept of our bodies. So when somebody says, hey, I can do whatever I want, not true if you're a child of God. Now, another question here. Question number three. If a person can change their hair color, and through surgery, their looks, some people have changed their noses and their ears and tummy tucks and this and that. If they can change their looks, why can't somebody change their gender? What's the difference? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we'll be in just a moment. I want to be as clear and concise as I can recognizing, first of all, I mean, how amazing that last Sunday, more than 2,000 people have watched that since from beginning to end. And so we need to realize that there are people outside of this room who are interested in these very important questions. And I think it is so important from the outset of this particular issue to realize that there are very conflicted and confused people around us. And what they need from us who have found our Creator and His will for our lives is not ridicule, it is not impatience. This is confusion that very easily can lead to sin that ends up where every sin ends up. And Jesus was compassionate and kind. His helpers, his disciples need to be the same. But we realize that there are questions being asked all around us. There are questions being asked by young people in this room. And that is a good thing in light of everything that they hear around us. Important questions that the world around us is grappling with. Is, is gender just a, a social construct? Should male or female be a matter of my personal choice? Or are there only two genders? It was not that long ago that... No one was asking, at least as far as I can tell, those sorts of questions. And yet those questions are all around us. If you do not believe that, I can sit you down with some of our teenagers in this room and they will tell you very quickly, you very well may in just a few weeks have a kindergartner who has a friend that is being raised as gender neutral. That is not somewhere far, far away. That is all around us. You may visit a coffee shop this week where name tags are being used where you can express your preferred personal pronouns. Or you might have a very close friend, perhaps even a family member who would describe themselves as currently transitioning. So how ought we to think about that? Well, I'm, I, I'm just going to get the conversation started, recognizing that this is a deep issue. And if you'd like to talk more about this, I would love to do that with you. 
We, we use the term sex in a couple of different ways. It has a couple of different definitions. I'm going to use it for the next few minutes to describe the categories of male and female. Divisions, male and female, based on reproductive functions. Some today are asserting that sex is assigned at birth. There are political movements around us where uh, the goal is to, to introduce legal paperwork where sex can be assigned at birth. And I believe that is untrue. The sex of a newborn is observed physically by the baby's sex organs. It can be confirmed genetically through a DNA test. The, the sexual identities of male and female were part of what was very good in Genesis 1, verse 31. But this modern notion of Gender, that's a much more recent way of talking all around us and much more difficult to, to examine at times. Unlike sex, gender doesn't necessarily point to anything tangible. Instead, gender now in the minds of many can be used to refer to my reality on the inside. Remember where we started. This ancient idea that my inside and my outside may not necessarily match. And so for thousands of years, people have been saying essentially, mine. My body is mine to do with whatever I want to do. And so while on the outside it may appear one way, on the inside I identify in a different way. It is the, the self-perception in the minds of many of being male or female. And that's where this idea of, of preferred personal pronouns and Newly chosen names. If you were paying attention to the news this week, you saw one celebrity that uh, chose to go down that path and widely publicized that this week. I'm, I have a, a self-perception on the inside, and so I want you to respect what I feel on the inside. And my sense of self describes how I feel. Not necessarily who I am, but how I feel. Well, here's the fundamental problem. Added to, I'm not my own, is what God tells me about my heart. A long time ago, more than 2,600 years ago, God through the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So here's what all of us, young and old, I would suggest need to realize. I cannot always trust me. I cannot always trust my thoughts. 
I certainly cannot always trust my feelings. But I live in a world that is constantly saying, you are what you feel. And so could I plead, especially with our young people, in a world that tells you, you are what you feel on the inside, you need to listen to your Creator who is saying, you are who I created you to be. And He is calling all of us, male and female, young and old, to submit our thoughts and even our feelings to Him. Because He is the constant. He is the, the everlasting rock. And He's told me in a variety of ways, it's not my prerogative to separate my body from my mind or my sexuality from my identity or to elevate my self-understanding above what He has told me in His Word. Sexuality is an amazing <clears throat> facet of His handiwork. And I'll cap all of that off just with one verse, even one phrase from one verse. Look there at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this time verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I would zero your attention on the body is not meant for. I do not have the right to define what my body is meant for. That is the prerogative of my Creator. And so perhaps that is confusing this evening. Perhaps that is very different from what you see other people your age thinking and expressing. And if you'd like to talk more about that, we need to talk about that. Because what God has said in his word is very straightforward. And I'm concerned that our twisted culture is making heroes out of people who come forward and said, I came out of the closet, or I look like a man, but actually I'm a woman. And they're, they're placing them in the same category as freedom fighters, war heroes, and perversion of God's word can never be a hero and now we're, we're again don't misunderstand anything we're saying we're not saying anyone deserves to be name-called no one should be ridiculed um, you'll never teach anybody the gospel by, by being mean to them um, going up to somebody and saying hey you're going to hell that doesn't convince anybody of anything but but we need to realize culture doesn't set the Bible the Bible is first, and in other cultures today, what is going on in America, a person would be put to death for. You talk about some of this stuff in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, these things would never be tolerated. So we cannot say we must follow culture, because which culture are you going to talk about? American culture? But then we have a different culture over here, so we're going to have a different message for this part of the world and a different message for this part of the world. And our Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yeah. It is the same for all of us. An objective standard. <clears throat> and even though culture may view this as courageous and celebrate it, 
What God calls confusion or God calls sin, that's where we need to unashamedly stand. And that, that leads us to a couple of somewhat related <clears throat> questions. So how can homosexuality be wrong if a person is born that way? That's a good question. And that, that, that's a common question. And, and before this, I would say this. There, there's a growing movement in a lot of high schools today for someone to kind of play around with it. I'm gonna play around with bisexuality. I'm gonna play around with homosexuality. I'm gonna play around with several of these things. First and foremost, any sex outside of marriage is wrong. God's firm on that. And so whether it's even heterosexuals, homosexuals, however you describe it, if it's outside of a marriage, it's wrong that's said by God. So that question begins with an assumption. It begins with the assumption that some people are born certain ways. Now, how could God condemn somebody if he made them that way? That's the assumption behind that question. So what that has led today is churches to change their view on this subject. If a person says, I was born this way, I can't help it, here I am, so churches are now saying, well, we have to accept you. It has to be okay in spite of what the Bible teaches. And that is a problem. So in 1 Corinthians 6, this is a chapter that deals a lot with, with sexuality. Let's look at verse 9, 10, and 11. and talk about a few things here. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 9 describes these things as unrighteousness. Verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. They were able to stop it. They were able to change. I believe a person can be born with certain tendencies, no question. If a mother has been drinking alcohol a lot during the pregnancy, that child may have alcohol dependency. The mother's been taking lots of drugs during that pregnancy, that child may have some tendencies toward drugs. But we must learn to control ourselves. As Peter says, to add self-control to our life and to understand how important that is. There's a book, and I haven't fully read this, so I can't fully recommend this, but you know, moms and dads, when you get teens, you, sometimes you just at a loss of what to say. And this is a book that's written by a couple PhDs talking with teens about sexuality. And I wanna just pull a statement out of here to show you the color of the landscape today. It says, teens who identify as homosexual or bisexual face substantial cultural stressors. Research shows that lesbian, Gay, bisexual high school students are at substantial risk for mental health and health issues. A greater risk for thinking about suicide, planning for suicide, and attempting suicide than are heterosexual peers. And they have a chart here. I'm going to just pull out about four of these statements. Considered suicide. Heterosexual teens, it's about 13%. Homosexual or bisexual teens, it's 47% huge difference. Alcohol use among heterosexual teens, 29%. Among homosexual or bisexual, 
37%. Felt sad or hopeless, heterosexual teens, about 27%. Homosexual or bisexual teens, 63%. Marijuana use, heterosexual, 19%. Homosexual or bisexual, over 30%. And so when you look at those numbers, you see a substantial problem with that. And so from this one passage alone, we understand that a person is not born that way. They may have tendencies, but as with any tendencies, a person can learn self-control, righteousness, and following Jesus. A person cannot say, I cannot help it, that's just the way I am. That's not what the Bible teaches. All right, so you just mentioned Jesus. There are some who would say... Jesus never talked about this. So why should we worry about it as followers of Jesus? All right, the next page of my book. <laughs> All right, two pages later. The God of the Bible who walked around on this earth, Jesus, did not directly address the subject of homosexuality in any of his lessons. It's true. Wrong. Even though a Ph.D. can write the book, that's not right. Get your Bible out. Let me show you. Two places where Jesus talked about sexual sin. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 19. Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. Brother Shouse, it didn't say homosexuality. The word fornication is a generic word that covers any unlawful sexual activity. Any. Sexual immorality, it's often translated. That's, so, so it would be included in that. Now, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And again... If you're not familiar with these, let's just write these down. 1 Corinthians 6, let's grab verse 19 once again. Excuse me, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. First thing somebody will say, well, Mr. Smarty Pants, that was written by Paul, not Jesus. Turn your Bible to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, and look at verse 37. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. Did God ever say anything about homosexuality? Yeah, he really did. Did he say anything about adultery? Yeah, he really did. Did he say anything about impurity? Yeah, he really did. He really did. And so again, it's a matter of us understanding what the Bible teaches in the face of what culture says, and even sometimes books. Somebody buy a book like this and say, aha, I knew it. Jesus never said anything about it. It's okay. This book is not accurate on that statement, and we have to appreciate that. Next question. If a fetus is a part of a woman's body, why can she not do with it what she wants? It's my body. I can do what I want. 
I'm going to read from Psalm 139 a, a little bit more in just a few moments. Roger was there earlier if you'd like to open your Bible back there. Again, uh, a topic that we could spend hours discussing. And if you would like to talk more, I, I just want to, in a sense, uh, start the conversation. But I, I would argue that even this is an expression of that ancient philosophy that I am who I am on the inside and whatever is happening on my, in my body, on my body, isn't necessarily me and so I live in a culture that says this just happens to be a clump of cells in my body and it is not really me who is choosing to get rid of those cells however they are arranged and however they are developing my identity is what matters the most and I choose to protect that and express that in the way that I see fit. It is my body, my business. I believe with all of my heart that if this world stands, eventually there will be cultures that look back on modern American culture with horror. The way that you and I look on human culture with horror in many ways. This is simply one modern expression of this tragic human tendency of the strong to murder the weak. And it happens every day in this country. We have seen it throughout human history in the rise and, and suppression of empires. We have seen it along ethnic lines where the strong believe they have the right to murder the weak. We have seen it in the history of our own country based along racial lines that we are the strong, they are the weak, we have the right to do to them what we want. The strong somehow have the right to determine who is a person of value. Who is worth saving? Who is worth protecting? And so it, with that mindset, if a woman wants this baby, then it is a baby. If this woman does not want this baby, then she has every right to act as if she is God in relation to this baby. I think Roger went to the perfect passage of Scripture earlier. In Psalm 139, I would just read a little bit more than he did in verse 13. You listen to this language of David. For you formed. God formed, David says, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none 
of them. It is not up to me, it is not up to you to define what our bodies are meant for. And when we choose to act as if we are God on that front, we are taking what is not ours to take. And, and, when, and when the parallel is made that what's in the womb is no different than the appendix, and you can take your appendix out, they miss it. A baby can have the different sex, different blood type, different hair color, different eye color than the mother. Uh, the book of Psalms also teaches that children are a gift of the Lord. Yeah. And so uh, we, we, when we lose reverence for any part of life, we'll lose it for all of life. Yeah. We start saying then, this doesn't matter. We'll look at the other spectrum and say, well, you know what? Here's somebody who's fulfilled their usefulness. They're old. Let's just get rid of them. Yeah. To tie it to what we were talking about earlier, a baby inside and outside of the womb gets its personhood not from dad and mom, but from God. Amen. So, all right, you touched on it a little earlier. Why is sex before marriage wrong? We test drive cars, we try on clothes, we walk through houses. How can we get married if we haven't tried sex first? Okay, first and foremost, we're not buying a car. Uh, there's a law, if you buy a car after three days, you can take it back, okay? Uh, there's laws about marriage and divorce. So you just can't say, okay, after three days, this didn't test where I didn't work. Or you buy a pair of clothes you don't like and you still got the tags on them, you take them back, okay? Uh, this is not the same thing. This is not the same thing. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, flee fornication. God's very specific about that. There are boundaries, there's authority, and, and there are blessings. There's privileges. There's privileges of being a member of this congregation. There's blessings being in the family of God. And so we need to realize that there's a blessing within the relationship of marriage. You take that away and you, and you start destroying the purpose and the beauty of what marriage is all about. And so once again, why is it wrong? Because God says so. Because God says so. And if we start questioning God on this, we'll start questioning God on everything. And that gets us into trouble. I know we're going just a little bit longer. There's one more question. Um, we hope this is helpful. Um, as we develop this series and the coming lessons we're going to talk about, we did not intend just to get up here and waste time and do, do softball questions that everybody knows the answers to. Trying to deal with questions that are difficult for you to answer with. Questions that moms and dads are having to deal with. Questions where you're hearing this from co-workers. And to understand the biblical standpoint that the people of God have to take on these matters. And so that's kind of why we're doing this. And so uh, as we wrap this up, how do we honor God with our bodies? Yeah. It's a phrase that comes from 1 Corinthians 6. We've been there all night. Verse 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. I would remind you of, of Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, that says, by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. All things created through Christ, for Christ. That includes my body and your body. 
So I think you could spend significant time in 1 Corinthians 6 and just think through. Okay, we, we read verse 11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I glorify God with my body? I submit to his lordship. Your answer earlier was because he said so. When I'm submitting to his lordship, that's enough. How do I glorify God in my body? Well, I, I follow the lead of the Spirit. That's, that's where verse 11 goes. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Follow the lead of the Spirit. And finally, verse 19 don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So how do I glorify him with my body? I live for him. Absolutely. If you will take your Bible towards me, Genesis chapter 3. So one of the statements Jason made uh, is the idea of the strong praying on the weak. And... That's an idea that is common because of evolution. Survival of the fittest was one of Darwin's arguments. And the premise of evolution, of course, is there is no God. The strong will survive. The biblical answer is the people of God help the weak. God helps the weak. It's not that the weak are crushed and rubbed out. They are lifted up by the Lord. Genesis 3, we remind ourselves of the first sin of Adam and Eve. And verse 9 is the first question God ever asked in the Bible. And he says to the man, where are you? And verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And what follows is a series of curses that God places upon the serpent, the ground, the woman, and the man himself. And then we get to verse 22, 21. Rather, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed themselves. What's interesting about Genesis 3 is this is the first time we really read about the devil. He creates a mess, and then he leaves. And it's the God of heaven who has to clean up this mess. The God of heaven who realized that the coverings you have, Adam and Eve, are not adequate. You don't have a savior. And the plan for Jesus began right there in that garden. And what we need to see is that is true to life today. Culture creates messes. Culture does not hang around and help us. The idea of racism today, the idea of hatred today, and all these things that we hear on the news all the time, that's the problems. What's the solution? The God of heaven has to clean up our messes. He has always done that. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And so this evening, we hope that these topics we've talked about, I mean, we've talked everything from transgender to homosexuality to abortion. I mean, we've covered everything. And a lot of things need to be talked about. Each one of those particular topics could have weeks and weeks of lessons. But what we want to do is to look at some basic biblical principles. The God of heaven made you. You are not just an accident why is it you live this generation 
why weren't you living in the 1800s? Why weren't you living in the B.C. time period? That's designed by God. Why is it some of us don't know a stranger? We're just outwardly. We can talk to anybody. Some of us can't even talk to ourselves in the mirror. We're so shy. Why are we that way? That's the way God has wired us. Why are some solution people? Why are others have such a tender heart? That's the way the God of heaven has made you. He made you just the way you are. He made you male. He made you female. He made you in this generation. He made you to honor him, to walk with him, and to spend forever in heaven with him. Along the way, we've made some messes. Jesus Christ comes and cleans up those messes. One of the biggest messes facing us today is getting our thinking to be biblical and not cultural. The realizing that when I watch so much news, I read so much on Facebook, I'm hearing all this stuff out there, it shapes the way I define words. It shapes how I see things. I've got to make sure I see it through the lens of heaven. And so this evening, if we can help you, we want to do that. If you know enough to be baptized, this is the time to do that. If you've been in some things that you know is not right, God always gives second chances. To Adam and Eve, God did not say, boy, you hose this up, good luck. No, he gave them a second chance. He gives you a second chance. If you're subject, won't you come and stand and sing?